Welcome to Trinity. My name is Tony Diekman. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's my privilege to share God's Word with you this morning. And so as we begin that endeavor, if you would, I'd ask you to bow your heads and your hearts and pray with me. Father in heaven, we gather here this morning in the name of your Son, Jesus. And it's by his name that we are called your sons and daughters. Father, we thank you for the gift of life, the gift of new life. We thank you for the gift of faith. And we ask you this morning to once again uh, teach us and instruct us, mold us and shape us into your Son's image. By the power of your Spirit, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you heard, this is a baptism weekend, and we spend six times a year uh, doing baptisms. And as you can hear and see this morning, we have a baptism, and actually two in this service. And uh, we're going to be celebrating that a little bit later in the service. And today we're going to teach a little bit more on baptism. Uh, We've done that earlier in the year. We're going to do it once again today. And we're going to talk about confirmation in a couple of months, uh, which we'll talk about confirmation later in the service. But today we're going to focus on this idea of identity that we receive in baptism. And whenever we talk about identity, it's like, who are you? There's always this debate that takes place. Who are you? And in our society, there's all kinds of answers to that. Scientists weigh in, theologians weigh in, um, everybody weighs in. And when you do this, there's inevitably a question that pops up. Well, well, is man inherently good or is man inherently evil? And there's this large debate, depending on where you stand and where you believe we come from, depends on where you usually fall along the spectrum of are you good or are you evil? And one of the debates out there is to sort of lean on the side of good says this. Well, just look at babies. All right? How can you look at a baby and say that this baby is born evil? Right? Especially this child. Right? Because this is my new grandson that was born last Tuesday. Yeah. So, so I take a small moment to sort of like brag a little bit. But... Um, How can you say that? How can you say that this child is is born bad? I mean, you look at babies, and you look at this young baby here in the front row, and you're going, really, Tony? That's what you're saying here this morning to these parents? Stay with me. So what I'm saying here is that we have three options. We can go with the option that says man is born inherently good, or you can say man is born inherently sinful, or we would say evil. Those words are really interchangeable. Or... You have to sort of wait and see. Not sure yet. Maybe you decide by their actions, right? By how they live, the choices they make. That will determine whether or not they're good or they're bad. They're just sort of born indifferent. And how they're raised and circumstances they encounter, that will determine their trajectory. But since I studied this and went to school to study this, to teach this, and you probably came here this morning expecting to hear something from this book... We're going to teach and look and see what God's Word has to say. And we're going to turn to the Old Testament and see what King David had to say. And these are his words. He says, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Not just born a sinner, but was conceived in sin. What's going on here? Well, this was written right after David had committed a huge sin. See, he was home when all his soldiers were out in battle. And he should have been with them, but he wasn't. And he was home. And when he was home, he looked out his window, and down below, bathing on a rooftop, was this young, beautiful woman. And David was infatuated. 
wanted to know who she is. Well, she's Bathsheba. She's the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. And David himself is married, but that didn't stop him. He brought her to the palace. He slept with her. She became pregnant. Now there's a big problem. People are going to know about this. So he calls Uriah back from the front, hoping that, you know, he would lay with his wife and nobody would know the difference. But he didn't and went back to the front. And he's like, what do I do? And so he devised a plot to pull back his troops and have Uriah killed so that he could then take Bathsheba and his wife. And so that all happened. And it's like, got away with that one. No one's going to find out except Nathan the prophet comes to him and confronts him. And Nathan knows what he's done. And David is convicted of this sin. David is found out. And he doesn't stand up and puff his chest out and say, well, I'm the king, I can do what I want. He's convicted of his sin. And after that, this is what he writes. Now you might be saying, well, you know, I've never killed anybody. I've not committed adultery, so I'm not really as sinful. I would never say those words. Or maybe David's just saying, you know what, I feel really bad, and he's waiting for Nathan to turn around and say, David, don't, don't take it too bad. You know, everybody's sinful. Everybody makes mistakes, and you know what? You're a king, and so you should be happy, and so don't worry about it. But he doesn't do that. And then we look at Paul, what Paul says in the New Testament, and Paul puts it this way, there is no one righteous, not even one. No, there's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Paul's pretty clear here, right? No one. And to sort of put an exclamation point on this, even further to drive it home, to the people that are reading this, they would have picked this up and us being in the 21st century in the United States, we probably miss this. But in this Hebrew culture, there are things that have meaning on top of just the words that you say. There are numbers have meanings. And so when you say something over and over again, it's more important. So if you were going to say this is a really big pit, you would say this is a pit pit, meaning it's a really big pit. And so here in this text, we see Paul using this over and over again. He says six times in this text, No one, no one, no one, no one, no one, no one, no one. Right? This number six in the Hebrew culture means man, of man, of the flesh, sinful. So he's saying with an exclamation point, no one's righteous. And just so if you missed it, no one, no one, no one, no one, no one, no one. Get it? It's complete. And then to actually throw a second exclamation point on it, he does this. He says, all have turned away. Sort of a seventh time. Now this number seven is a sign of completeness to the Hebrew. So he's saying, everyone is completely sinful. Everyone. No one escapes. And then to go on, he lists all these things about those people. Throats, tongues, lips, mouths, feet, their ways, their eyes. Another seven. So just in case you missed it, he's saying no one and nothing in anyone is good. So Paul's pretty clear about that. In fact, he says this, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. From the beginning of time, everyone, those dead and those alive. And he's really echoing a teaching that we see Moses teaching us in in Genesis, where he says, this is the list of the descendants of Adam. When God created humankind, he made them in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his likeness, 
according to his image. See what Moses is saying? Adam was created in God's image. Every other person born was created in their father's image, in the image of Adam, in the image of sinful man. From the very beginning, everyone has been born sinful, other than Adam and Eve. Everyone after that has been born sinful. And just so we can cement this a little further, we're going to see what Jesus says. Jesus, when confronted by this young lawyer, says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, some will point and say, well, Jesus is saying, see here, right here, he says he's not God, because he's referring to God as a different person. But that's really not what he's teaching here. This young man comes to him wanting to know what good in him, what good works must I do to inherit the kingdom of God. So he's using good in the context of what must I do to be righteous in God's sight. When we use the word good, we sort of use it as like good-hearted, well-meaning, kind. Here he's not using it in that context. He's saying, what must I do to be acceptable before God? And Jesus is saying, I want to make sure you understand who you're addressing. Because when you use the word good, we're all talking about God here, and only God is good. So when you address me, understand that I'm not just this good, kind-hearted person. I am God. And only God is good. When we talk about good, when we fight against evil, we're really comparing ourselves against everybody else. Well, I'm not David. I haven't killed anybody. And that guy over in the corner over there, I'm better than him. So I'm good. I'm not so bad. I'm not Hitler, so I'm not evil. Right? That's evil. But really in the text... Evil and sinful are the same thing. It's the same thing. And so the answer we see from Scripture, as hard as it is to hear, is that sinful is the answer. Everyone, all mankind, all humanity, is sinful from the time they are conceived. There's a deeper problem going on here. It's not just the choices I make. And so it raises this question. So, am I a sinner because I sin? Or do I sin because I'm a sinner? Let's go back to children again. This young girl here is the girl that just had that young baby that you saw earlier. And she was about three years old at this time. And she's wearing the same outfit, and my wife is in the room changing our second child, Alex's diaper. He had just been born. And she walks in the room and says, Mommy, I need to go potty. And Terry says, Catherine, just a minute, I'm changing your brother. But Mommy, I need to go potty. Just a minute, Catherine, I'm changing your brother. But Mommy, I need to go potty. Well, then just go on, Catherine. What do you think Catherine does? <laughs> Standing right there in the room, she just goes with no diaper on, because she was trained, right there, just looked at my wife like, are you going to pay attention to me now? So here's my question. Was that the first time she sinned? Was she just neutral up until that moment, and that's the first time it manifested itself? 
Or was there a deeper problem here? Was she born with the same problem as everyone else? Was she born a sinner? Was she conceived in sin? And so we'd say, David has it right. We were conceived in sin. Jesus is right. The text, it's not me telling you, this is what the text teaches. That we all have this problem of sin that we're born with. And what we learn from Scripture is there is absolutely nothing we can do. There's no amount of good in you that can outweigh the problem that exists in you. There is no solution to be found within you or within humanity. It doesn't exist. It's that deep of a problem. And it so infects everything. Everything. But see, the good news is, that's not the final answer. That is not the final answer. Paul is talking to the church in Galatia. And he's talking to them, and he's telling them the same thing. That everyone has this problem of sin. And the sin manifests itself into these types of behaviors. And he's giving lists and lists of behaviors. And he said, and they will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's how deep the problem is. The problem separates us from God. But then he goes on to say, some of you were once like this. And if I were Paul, I'd be like this, like this, right? Some of you were like this. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There's a solution to the problem. And it's not your goodness. It's Jesus. Paul goes on to say, For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism will put on Christ like putting on new clothes. The solution is Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And he gives that righteousness to us when he gives us faith when he gives us his Holy Spirit, when he clothes us in his righteousness, you'll see young babies being baptized in white gowns, as we'll see here this morning. You'll see those coming in, like this depiction of one of my favorite movies, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, where they're going into the water dressed in white because they're articulating what we just read here in Galatians. They go into the water and they come out clothed in white. There's this exchange that happens in baptism. There's this exchange that happens when God gives us faith. We give him our clothes, our sinful nature, and he clothes us with his righteousness. God puts our sin on Christ and puts his righteousness on us. We're no longer sinners. We're no longer that person. We're a new creation. We have been clothed in Christ's righteousness. Not because there's good in me, but because of the righteousness of Christ. Paul goes on to write to 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 Titus. He says, he saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified... By his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Why does he save us? Because of his mercy, not because of the good works in us. While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. While we were still evil, Christ died for us. Why? Because of his mercy, through the renewal of the Holy Spirit, but also to be justified, because God is a just God, and he will punish sin. And he has punished sin in the flesh of his son Jesus, just not in you who believe. So that we might become children of God, heirs. And so we see we need to understand the importance of the problem so that we can appreciate the solution. So if that's the reality, I'm no longer a sinner, but I'm righteous, why do I still sin? Why is it that I struggle to not sin? And the answer is, because you're still a sinner. Martin Luther talked about this struggle, and he used different words to talk about it. But Paul says, when you want to do the things that you want to do, the good that you want to do, you don't do those things. He says that here in Galatians. He says, I want to do it, but there's this sinful nature that craves something else. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite to the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting within you. So you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. Have you experienced that? As children of God, have you experienced those moments where you know what you ought to do and you find yourself doing the exact opposite? And you articulate Paul's words here in your own mind, or maybe to someone else. And Paul says it again in Romans. He says, the good I want to do, I don't do. The stuff that I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. There's this battle that's going on inside each of us. Because we're still sinners. And as I said, Martin Luther talked about this, and he used this fancy Latin phrase, simul ustus et peccator. And for those of you that aren't Latin majors, I'll explain Simul is where we get the word simultaneously in English. It's the root for that, where simultaneously, at the same time. Ustus is the word for just, righteous. So simultaneously, just, righteous. Et, you all know what et means, right? It's the past tense of the verb to eat, right? I et my dinner, right? And they don't talk like that up here, right? Only in Missouri we talk like that, right? No, et is and. So simultaneously just and, and peccator is sinner. Simultaneously saint and sinner. At the same time. Now to understand this, we need to understand it from two perspectives. From our perspective, we're sinners. We see the sin that we commit. We understand the sin that we commit. We struggle with the sin we commit. We can't deny the fact that we're sinners. John says in his epistle that, you know, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar. So we understand that. But from the perspective of God, we're holy. We're righteous. We're perfect. Why? Because he's looking at us and he sees the righteousness of Christ that he's given us. He doesn't see the sins that you commit. Because those sins that you commit, he's punished those in his son. From God's perspective, we are just. We are righteous. Holy righteous. From our perspective, we're sinners. And so we live simultaneously in those two things. Paul articulated there's this battle that goes on. We're a sinner, but we're justified. We're a sinner, but we're justified. 
And so we struggle to live in that nature. Paul goes on in his epistle to the Romans. He says, so when I do wrong, I'm not the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. Hear what he says? It's no longer I that do it. He's talking about himself as a new person, as a different person. So oftentimes we talk about ourselves as the old person. We live in that reality. And when we continue to live in that reality, it's easy just to put those old clothes back on and to continue down that path and to continue to live the things that we've always known. But Paul is saying, I'm no longer like that. That's not who I am. Yeah, I'm a sinner. There's sin that lives in me, but that's no longer my master. My master is Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say later in this text in Romans that just because you're covered in grace, just because grace will always be greater than sin doesn't mean that you should just embrace the sinful life because there will be more grace. He's saying, by no means. That's not who you are. You have been saved. He calls us to live by the Spirit. To understand that, yes, we're sinful, but we're not called to live that way. We're called to follow Jesus Christ. To follow Him. And so when we sin, as we will, we are convicted of the sin. The Holy Spirit will convict us because He lives in us. For He wants what's best for us. And we need to understand that there's this battle going on inside of us, but He wants better for us. And to understand that, we need to understand Him. We need to understand this Word. Because it is in this Word that we will hear the problem of sin. And I think as we see in the text, there must be some good for us to understand that. Because when you understand that, you see that you are more evil than you ever dared believe. But at the same time, you will read, you are more loved than you could ever dare imagine. But it's getting to know him in his word, in prayer, and in this community. So that we can continually be reminded whose we are, who we are. That that's not who I am anymore. This is who I am. And we can be encouraged and admonished and we can walk alongside of one another to remind one another the life that we now have. And so when we sin, I've heard it put like this way, this side of heaven, a Christian still sins, but they do so with tears in their eyes. They anguish over the sin and that anguish and that shame and that guilt is a righteous guilt. Because he's called us to a new life. It's a reminder that that's no longer who we are. We're a new creation. Paul says this, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Let the Holy Spirit that he has placed in you guide your life. He will guide you through this text. He will guide you as you participate in the body, as you use your gifts. He will guide you as you pray. In fact, the Holy, it says that the Holy Spirit will pray on your behalf. Things that you don't even know you need. The Spirit prays for you on your behalf. I encourage you, he says. Almost I implore you. Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Walk by his direction. And to do that, we must understand the direction. So back to babies and young ones. As I look down at this young child in my arms, I see this perfect, beautiful child. 
But as I teach this text, as, I'm, as I read this text, I understand he has a problem. He has a problem that he was conceived in. And I know that his parents and Terry and I are going to remind him of that the rest of his life, or the rest of our lives. But we're also going to remind him whose he is, and that there's a solution to that problem, and that Jesus has paid the price for his life. And we're going to constantly remind him of that so that he never forgets, so that he then can teach his children whose they are. When we look at baptism this morning, it's a reminder to all of us whose we are, who this young child is, who you are. And we're to remember every time we see a baptism or talk about baptism, exactly what's been exchanged. Our sin for Christ's righteousness. Not the good in me, but the good in him. Jesus. We get Jesus. What a glorious thing baptism is. The miracle that God does in baptism, but the hope that we have in him and in his name. I pray this morning that you live in that life, that you follow the Spirit's guiding, that you spend time seeking after him daily so that you know who you are, a saved child of God. Amen.